Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth. Brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors. Hello, and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. Our guest today is Gotham Nadella an operating partner at EQT Ventures in the Bay Area, where he drives M&A, fundraising, and partnership efforts within their portfolio of 100-plus companies. Prior to joining EQT, Gotham spent 18 years leading corporate and business development teams and activity at a number of technology players, ranging from Cisco to Next Insurance. EQT, the venture arm of Swedish investment manager EQT Group, invests in a wide range of companies in both Europe and the U.S., and is led primarily by former founders and operators. In November of last year, it closed what it described as Europe's largest VC fund committed to early-stage tech startups, with commitments of a billion euros, putting its total raise since launching in 2016 at 2.3 billion euros. After an incredibly challenging macroeconomic year that brought an abrupt halt to more than a decade of gravity-defined valuations and seemingly limitless VC funding, we're excited to have Gotham join us to offer his broad, thoughtful perspective on the state of startups and venture capital in this new era the power of transformative tech, and much more. So let's get to our conversation with Gotham. Welcome to the podcast, Gotham. Thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. As 2023 gets underway, what are, in your view, some of the long-term learnings that growth equity and VC investors have gleaned from all that has happened in 2022? It's been a crazy year, um, as we all know. But unlike past booms, I think many people knew this was coming. It was really just a matter of exactly when and how. After the bull market that effectively started 12 years ago ran out of fresh gas, many of us uh, were excited about what was going on, but still cautious at the same time. While the pandemic accelerated many trends, the market expectations and assumptions around long-term cheap money were way too optimistic. That said, I still believe that tech's long-term prospects remain strong, even if the time frame and cost of money have dramatically changed. Transformative tech is the key to addressing many of our most pressing issues, regardless of the market. I truly believe that good companies will excel in this environment, even if there are several bumps along the way, and even if it's painful. I remember during the Great Depression, U.S. Steel came out stronger than ever. During the GFC, the FANG stocks pulled away in terms of valuation and profits. And now some of the best companies in areas like electrification, synthetic bio, or data and compute uh, will most likely become the gorillas of tomorrow. And when you look back on 2022, what jump out as two or three trends that you as an investor have found most surprising? In terms of surprises, I'd say first is the amount of dry powder that continues to be raised by funds in the venture world. Though I really shouldn't be surprised since this is just one impact of all the money that's flooded the system from the Fed and many others in the last few years in particular. Another trend that's become more clear is the value of having gone through a cycle and a downturn. While uh, many companies have succeeded in the boom that's been the last 12, 15 years, many more will fail, which is typical for startups. We all know this in the venture space. However, some will handle this downturn knowing personally how long it can last and how deep it can go. And those will be better able to mentally and emotionally handle the roller coaster that they're going through. You talk about the amount of dry powder. Um, When you look forward to this year on the horizon. How do you think investment activity will compare with 2022? There will be a couple of things that go on. 
first of all, overall funding will probably go down in terms of activity, given that rounds are getting smaller, they're taking longer to complete, and the threshold to invest has been going up. But I don't think that the time that investors spend on sourcing deals and supporting their existing investments will go down. The VC landscape will bifurcate a bit between those that are positioned to invest at more rational levels and those that will be in survival mode. I know many folks have said that there will be a cleaning out of the space. I'm not quite so pessimistic. I think that there will be some that came in with not the best strategy for the next five, 10 years, but there's a lot of opportunity and upside for those that are able to adjust to the current landscape. When you talk about a cleaning out, that view is positing that folks that were able to raise at irrational levels or uh, with maybe not um, fully formed business plans, those things will be rationalized in the coming years. But what I meant by that is ultimately there are so many dollars chasing so many companies. And I think in every stage of the cycle, that balance needs to be healthy. When I say cleaning out, I don't mean that necessarily in a negative sense. I simply mean that there has to be a fit between the type of investors, the mandates and the strategy that people are going after. For example, what sectors people are focusing on. Some sectors that have been in the news lately will probably see a, a decrease in investment activity, whereas those that are tied to transformative tech, alternative energy being one, will continue to grow and probably be less affected by some of the changes going on. The red flag started to come up in the middle of 2022 with rising interest rates. People might have just assumed this is going to have a huge impact on the amount of capital that uh, investors want to put into funds. Is it just faith in the long-term power of transformative tech that is the reason that didn't necessarily take such a big hit? Yeah. First of all, transformative tech continues to grow in importance. Developments are being made every day, whether we're talking about synthetic biology, quantum computing, even data and compute. You got to remember that venture is a long-term game. At EQT, we really believe in the five to 10-year life cycle of transformation and innovation. But venture is still a great asset class. There's a lot of opportunity if you have some patience. Ultimately, you're betting on the winners, and the winners will continue to emerge. You mentioned a few things like climate and quantum computing. Are there other bright spots that you expect in 2023 or exciting growth coming from particular regions that you're watching really closely? We strongly believe that Europe will continue to grow in relative importance. Um, the U.S. will remain strong. I don't think anybody uh, would believe that that's going to go away anytime soon. There's still a lot of optimism for both the U.S. and Europe where we invest uh, primarily. But really, I think the bright spots will be sector specific one that's been in the minds for a while that I believe in and that our team is betting big on is climate tech. I would also add the creative economy, both normal and alternative, fintech and food tech. There's a lot of opportunity for many of these areas to own importance and deliver companies that can really stand out. Looking back, SaaS has been a, a great force in terms of returns, in terms of innovation, in terms of investment. And I believe it will continue to be a force in many sectors, ranging from clean energy to blockchain, to even the traditional enterprise software. Deep tech and transformative tech in general is coming into its own. SaaS will continue to be a driver for many of these areas. And deep tech includes a lot of areas that we invested in, such as quantum computing and the electrification of vehicles. Those companies will leverage advances in SaaS and other areas like data, networking, compute. And those that do will be best positioned to really transform and lead their sectors.
looking at SaaS is becoming so ubiquitous. Does it still qualify as a particular subsector within software or is SaaS really software at this point? You're spot on. I think that SaaS is really software. The lines have blurred considerably. It's just part of technology for so many sectors. Software SaaS has been critical to many of the areas that we invest in. Many of those you wouldn't call software by themselves. Software uh, is just embedded in most of the innovation that's coming forward. Let's talk a little bit about deep tech. For years, it's been exciting, but seemed far off when people were talking about quantum computing and obviously um, electrification and automobiles is now becoming into its own. What are your thoughts on the sort of time horizon for deep tech investing? Is it shifting now that it's not so much of a far off phenomenon? It goes without saying that it's a very broad space. There's many sectors. If you can look back, there have been people investing in deep tech for years. Tesla, for example, was created many years ago. If you look at deep tech timing, I'd say it really depends on the type of company, the technology that they're leveraging, the geography and the pain point. There's a lot of positive trends behind these movements from sustainability to climate change, um, to governments really betting big on this. For example, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is putting a lot of money directly from governments into these spaces. Not only uh, the monetary support, but also the social and political backing will make a lot of these efforts become realized sooner than otherwise. We are betting big on the electrification of vehicles. We have investments in companies like Einride and Hart Aerospace and Candela that are touching everything from trucks to boats. We have others in battery technology. So there's a huge range. Will all of them pan out? Probably not, but a lot of them are due. And in the timeframe that we are comfortable with, um, they will have leaders that will emerge victorious. When you talk about food tech as a promising sector, are you talking about alternative foods and that kind of broader view in terms of the sector? Yes. In general, when I say food tech, I'm referring to alternative foods, chemistry, organic biology. I would be remiss to not mention that food delivery is an important part of the food economy. We had an investment in Wolt, for example, that recently exited to DoorDash. No offense to the current incumbents, but what's in the market right now, at least what we can buy at the supermarket, be very early stage in terms of what we'll be seeing five, seven years from now. Everything from synthetic cheeses that can transform many things, as well as meats and others. With climate change, one of the biggest drivers of it are the cultivation and production of meat. Delivering on food tech can solve many problems at once, not just economic, but also social and climate. And on climate, there were periods earlier in, in the 2000s where there were bets made and things were almost too early to live up to the promise. Now it really seems to be the right moment for it. Absolutely. For many of these sectors, like I said before, there has been uh, economic, political and social backing for it. We've always invested in companies that we think are plus one for the world. And uh, climate tech is one of those areas. And speaking of the kinds of companies you guys invest in, um, there's obviously, you know, increasingly competitive landscape of startups every year, and they're all vying for attention from investors like yourself. How do you filter out what opportunities make sense to even consider? There's a wide array of criteria we use, but the short version is we proactively look at sectors, their trends, attractiveness, potential leaders, and then try to engage founders on a personal level. EQT Ventures is a fund run by ex-founders and operators. So we really know where we can and uh, should actively add value. If you talk to many of our founders, uh, you'll hear that we were there to support them in relevant ways. 
when times were good and bad. Uh, the key is that there's a common view in terms of mission values and you know, agreement on the problem that's being solved. Um, ultimately, if an investment makes sense, the two sides should be attracted to each other from the start. We also believe we will do better by focusing on a long-term horizon. We typically invest across a minimum of a five-year investment cycle. That really helps founders navigate market challenges and grow sustainably in a way that short-term focus and demands may not allow them to. You guys are focused on the earlier stage of company. Am I right in terms of series A and B, that point in the cycle? That's correct. We are specifically early stage, as early as seed stage in Europe, and we make investments up to $50 million. Our team just finished raising our third fund over a billion dollars. Now, our three funds have over 100 investments across Europe and the U.S. There's a broad range there. We invest in markets across tech. Some of the ones that we've already mentioned before, like electrification and quantum computing, but also areas like graphic design tools. I'm happy to say we have high performers in many of these sectors. Over the past seven years, we've grown with the 50-50 gender split, not just for our team, but for our partnership as well. We strongly believe in blazing a trail for women founders. So a long way of saying that there's a lot of things that are important to us as we decide on who's a good fit and hopefully when others decide who's a good fit for them. You talked about the background of EQT as founders and operators. Does that impact the actual diligence process in terms of how you guys assess companies? Do you think that it differs from perhaps more traditional VC diligence processes? When we do diligence, I'd say it differs quite a bit in the sense that we really focus on the person, on uh, the space, and we focus on fit. So just as they are looking for certain things, we want to make sure that we are the right fit for the startup as well. That raises the point about the value creation role for investors and whether that's becoming more critical than it used to be. Are startups interested to know what kind of hands-on support is going to be available from potential investors? The short answer is yes. I'm happy to say that that works very well to our advantage, even though we're all founders and ex-operators. EQT Ventures as a whole doubled down many years ago. We started building an operating platform where we added senior experts with a broad range of experiences for a number of functions, including finance, product, people, analytics. I'd say it's paying off quite well because startups are not only turning to us more and more, but we in turn are getting better at adding value through a number of ways, whether it's helping finding a new CFO for a portfolio company or uh, introducing an industry leader to engage with, finding a buyer for one of our companies. Our goal is to be the most supportive and hands-on early stage investor across all markets. In order to do that, you need to have a strong operating platform that ties with your investing platform so that your investments can get the best of both worlds. The companies in your portfolio, is there a conscious effort to have them learn from each other in any way? Definitely. There's a number of ways we do this. And maybe the most the fun way to do it is to have events. Back in September, we had a CEO summit for all of our founders uh, over in Stockholm. It was great to see not only us interacting with many companies uh, in our portfolio, but the founders and CEOs interacting with each other. What's surprising in a positive way for me is that several of them already knew each other. We've created an online community for many of our companies in local markets, such as Germany, Stockholm, London, and the U.S. Every founder, especially at the early stage, brings something unique to the table, and they can learn a lot, not just in terms of technology and business, but also from hiring, culture building, from specific issues that hit them both personally and professionally. Only founders really know what a founder is going through. Right. When you talk about plus one in terms of the kind of companies you're looking for, what does that mean 
plus one can take uh, many different forms. The easiest way to say it is, is the world outside of pure economics and marketing buzz a better place because of your company, because of your startup, because of your technology than it was before? If you think about the electrification of vehicles, that is something that will help our planet in many ways, reducing our needs on fossil fuels and other carbon-based uh, sources, at least much less so than before. Some of the other things that we do around uh, our consumer segment, around fintech, there's a lot of things that we can do to improve the lives of people and the world that aren't necessarily so climate-focused, they are more personal. So how to bring banking to less privileged economies? How do you bring tools and software that can really make a difference in the lives of businesses and, and consumers? We believe that being plus one for the planet is something that is our obligation, but it's also an area where EQT, given our history uh, and where our company has focused over the past 25 years, has really an advantage over many others. Our firm has done a lot of research in the last few years, looking at Europe and the technology gap from a macro view. Do you think that the region is making strides in becoming more competitive with the US and other parts of the world in terms of its innovation and entrepreneurial culture? Absolutely. If you go back to the 90s, there was a lot of room for Europe to catch up, and they have definitely made huge strides in that. And that varies in terms of sector and uh, degree, depending on what part of Europe you're talking about. Just as the US and Asia are huge areas, Europe is a, a very broad and diverse set of countries. Think about a lot of the large companies that have come out of the Nordics over the years. Those people have started creating ecosystems in their own countries to start innovation. And we're seeing it in Germany, we're seeing it in France, certainly in London and the UK. But there's a lot of room to improve, right? I don't think the growth and in innovation has ended in Europe by any means just because of the market downturn. In some ways, it's accelerating given the broader needs of both the economies of Europe and the planet as a whole. We think that Europe is a great place for innovation and we really want to be there to support them in their journey. In the last six months or so, there's obviously a lot of talk in the startup world about a renewed focus on efficient growth versus growth at all costs. Is that a message already taking hold with founders or prospective founders? If you look back uh, at the past several years, I think growth at all costs uh, gets a little bit of a bad rap in the sense that growth is important. That's what we're striving for. And that's what ultimately will make a difference uh, on multiple dimensions for society as a large and for startups. So when you say profitable or more conscious cost growth, it's an and again. You want to grow, perhaps not at all costs, but at many costs. It's important to invest in your business, invest in your founders, invest in your people. You want to do it in a way that I think we've gotten away from, but has been traditionally the case for many successful startups. If you go back to the early 2000s and 90s, many of those that have come out of it, including some of the FANG stocks, grew spectacularly, and they did it with an eye on costs and profitability. I think this is an area that we need to get back to. We have been very clear in our messaging to the market and to our portfolio companies. Other investors and startups that are succeeding have been able to pull both of those tactics off. Is your sense that that is having impact on the way folks come to you to talk about their ideas or visions? Many founders and startups are more mindful now of what it takes to make a, a successful company, not just for the next three months or year or getting to the next round, but for the long term. So. Have they changed their pitch? Have they changed their value proposition? 
Some have perhaps. Those are the ones that will really benefit from building a company well methodically and from the ground up, creating a solid base, a good culture, a good relationship with investors. They will be more likely to succeed. So I think this is a, a great chance for many companies, uh, including ones that are just starting up, to take notice and realize that if you focus on uh, a path to profitability in a reasonable amount of time, you focus on growth and you focus on all the other software elements that I talked about before, that you're better set up to create uh, a strong company for the long term. I think that's ultimately what we all want. And finally, I'm just wondering when you look at the year ahead, how you and yourself, your, your firm thinks about the general unpredictability of markets and the economy in terms of investments and the macro environment. One of the benefits that I'm happy to say about venture capital and private equity as a whole is that we have a longer term horizon. At EQT, we focus on five years plus for something to truly develop and become a, a market leader. As a result, we're not so focused on the latest Fed minutes or the latest CPI report. While those are important, I don't want to downplay them. We can look past them and say, what are the big tailwinds that are impacting the market? From an unpredictability standpoint, there are a lot of trends that have been developing for years. Did COVID accelerate some of them? Sure. Have there been ups and downs along the way? Sure. But I think the long-term trend is still there. Sustainability, uh, electrification of vehicles, the creative economy, the impact of fintech on personal lives. These are all really big trends that will take many, many years to advance and develop, and we will see benefits from them along the way. We aren't so worried about the ups and downs of inflation and rates. While they are important and they will change how we tactically do our day-to-day, -day, our excitement about the opportunities in tech over the long term and even the medium term are still there. The next five, 10 years will bring even more innovation than the last 10 years. If that holds true. We have a lot to be more excited about than fearful for. Gotham, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk about the year ahead and the VC sector investing and EQT. It's really been great to chat and to have your perspective. Thank you, Daniel. It was great to be here. That's it for this episode of McKinsey on Startups. Thanks as always to our stellar podcast production team, Molly Carlin, Sid Ramtree, Myron Shergan, and Polly Noah. And of course, thank you for listening. This has been McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening.